Thank you, Jennifer. Well, this week uh, I was doing some reading and I stumbled across an article about retirement savings in the United States. And you know, retirement is one of those hot button topics where, you know, it can kind of raise your anxiety and stress and pressure because you kind of feel like you're not ready for it, you're a little bit behind. And um, this is something, kids, that you need to be thinking about already on your way to children's <laughs> church and middle school students. Those of you in confirmation, head on back. It's time for adult talk, right? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so right, retirement savings, yeah, it can stress you out or it can be something that you're like, oh man, someday I'm going to live a life of ease and comfort. You know, and then that someday shows up and you're like, I'm not ready for this yet. But what this article was about was the magic number. And this was a survey that Charles Schwab just, just did. They were kind of surveying people who had retirement accounts on like, how much do you, do you, I mean, that's the question, the toughest question, like, well, how much do I need to save for retirement? And so people were responding to this survey and the average amount was, some of you probably know this, $1.8 million. Now that sounds like a really big number, right? But that actually doesn't equate into a life of lavish luxury, right? And uh, I just decided, you know, I, well, for some of you, that probably sounds like a uh, number that may be too low. And for others, it sounds extraordinarily high. I just decided that I wasn't going to retire at all because, you know, <laughs> it'll, take a, it'll take a while to get there. But even so, most people in the United States feel like they're way, way, way behind. Um, and I started to wonder, like, how much would I really need to kick back and take life easy? And believe it or not, that's the question in the middle of our parable that we're going to look at today. And we started a new sermon series about parables that we're calling Stories with Intent. And the way Jesus taught on important topics like the kingdom of God, like discipleship and grace, uh, he actually taught a lot about money and how we should look at it and use it as his disciples. But the way that Jesus taught was by telling parables, which are short stories with intent. Stories with intent. Pastor, Angelus began, uh, Pastor Angela began us off a few weeks ago the parable of the sower, and that encourages us to consider how and if the seed of God's kingdom is growing in us. Last week, I preached on the unmerciful servant, and that's an illustration about God's mercy and his forgiveness and how we're expected to extend it towards others. And the little phrase there was, maybe you remember this, being forgiven changes you, forgiving another changes too, right? I knew you were thinking about that all week long. Um, and you can encounter these parables and lots more of them in a classroom uh, that's just down the hall. We've got set up a parables experience is what we call it. And you can go in there before church, after church. If you let us know during the week and the building's open, you can head on in there. It's kind of just a devotional journey. You can do uh, uh, all of them at once or you can just kind of click them off. But it's, it's meant to kind of help you interact and get a little deeper with what Jesus was teaching. Today, our, our, our parable is on the rich 
fool, okay? The parable of the rich fool. I don't know how in my mind, I, I, always, I always say this parable is the one about the bigger barns. And I think that's because I grew up on a farm and so I just, it has barns are prominent in it. And so I just think, oh, that's the bigger barn parable. And I even tell people like, oh, hey, we're gonna do the parable of the bigger barns. And then they go, huh? Because in every Bible, you know, for the last 200 years, it's been the parable of the rich fool. So I had to correct myself this week. And it explores a theme about how disciples of Jesus think about and use their money. It also touches on the meaning of life in light of God's kingdom. And I promise you, when you walk out today, you're going to remember that who you are is far more important than what you possess. So, let's hear the parable of the rich fool. This comes to us from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Well, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So here's the question. What does it mean to be rich toward God? And how do I invest in that? Well, whenever Jesus touches on the topic of money, material possessions, uh, it's often, by the way, Whenever he touches on that and I'm reading my Bible, it feels, it feels like I just got grazed with, with a bullet, right? Like, I think Jesus took a shot directly at me right there. And all too quick, I put up my shields, my defenses go up, and I think of some, you know, billionaire and tell myself that's the kind of person that should be worried about greed, right? I know I'm the only person in this room that has ever done that. And once Corey and I, we were uh, visiting some family in Southern California, and I, uh, one morning we woke up, we look out, uh, out on the coast, and we could see a super yacht docked at one of the piers. And the way I knew it was a super yacht is because the day before, a cruise ship had actually been docked there. And then, you know, over the night, that one left, this other one came in, I'm like, that is not a cruise ship, but it's close. And so, you know, quickly you pull out your phone, you start looking like, oh, what is this? There's a name on the side of that book. There's a name on the side of that book. What is this? And uh, I learned some really interesting stuff. It was, it was over 400 feet long. Do you know how long a football field is? Yeah, it's 300 feet, so it's 30% farther. Uh, it had a crew of 60. $20 million a year. I mean, I'm like going through all these. It had two submarines. I mean, that's 
pretty cool, isn't it? Like, this is amazing. And then when I got done ogling all of it like that, I totally judged the family that owned this boat, right? Like, oh, obviously. Uh, I, I, if I had all that wealth, I would use it differently. Not so. Well, you can hear in this parable of Jesus from essentially two places. One is from the place of the rich man. You know, are you foolish or not? What would you do with all that wealth? And the other is from the place of probably the rest of us, right? We, we hear this, I guess what I mean by that is, it's really easy to hear this in, in, from the place of like, well, I kind of know that I want to be rich, right? There's the people who are rich, and then there's the, the people who just want to be rich. And when it comes to how you will spend your life, will you be foolish or not? And there are so many different angles and questions that a parable like this from Jesus makes us, ask, you know, like in those quiet moments, if, if, we're, if we're willing to listen, we hear this parable working on us. And uh, sometimes it just makes me want to hide. Because it forces me to clarify, you know, am I trusting God in my life or am I just pursuing something else? Am I trying to just build my own kingdom here or am I actually on board with building God's? And in God's economy, who you are is far more important than what you possess. So the parable that Jesus tells is in response to a request You see, many thousands of people, Luke tells us in his gospel here in chapter 12, many thousands had gathered in this place to hear Jesus teach. And his inner ring of disciples are there. And he actually, the the story is like, as these people are gathered around, you know, I just see them gathering or whatever. And he starts, he's teaching his own uh, closest disciples. And interestingly enough, he's teaching them about their mindset when it comes to facing opposition, challenge, or even persecution that's in their future. And he's talking about stuff that might worry them and where their true security rests. And then in the flow of the story, the focus turns from like your own personal safety and security to that of financial security. And from the crowd, someone says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And even as a reader, 2,000 years removed from this experience, you kind of just feel this twinge, don't you? You're like, oh boy, this is going to get good, isn't it? You got family disputes here. This could be a reality TV show. Like, what's going on behind this? Well, inheritance laws and traditions uh, have always been important, but they were extremely important in ancient Israel and the ancient Near East there. Um, And there's some things that that are are kind of, I don't know if they're important to the story to know, but they are interesting, so I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, You know, the Bible has a lot on kind of family dysfunction. That's one of the cool things about the Bible is it doesn't just gloss over it. You think of Jacob and Esau. They're two brothers who are just having it out uh, with each other. And Jacob, the younger one, is trying to steal the older one's birthright. That's about inheritance. The reason is, in Jewish tradition, the oldest son 
And only the sons inherited, by the way. The oldest son got a double portion. And as a younger, uh, actually, yeah, I guess I I am the older son, so (laughs) lucky me, right? But as the youngest child in my family, you know, that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like, well, most of the time, oldest children are actually responsible, but not always, right? Not always. So I feel a little gypped and a little shafted here that the oldest son gets special treatment, but that's just the way it was. And so maybe this question is coming from a younger son. And he's like, Jesus, this is not fair. I want you to fix it. And whenever, they had, whenever people at that time had questions about like how you understand Levitical law or the Torah or whatever, they would always go to the rabbis and the teachers to settle these disputes. And so that's why Jesus is like, uh-uh, I'm having none of this. I'm not your judge. I'm not your arbiter. And instead, he identifies a different problem. This man's priorities. This guy needed a basic understanding of how possessions relate to the purpose of life. Because who you are is far more important than what you possess. And what I mean by that is that purpose in our life isn't found by accumulating wealth. You've heard the proverb, he who dies with the most toys still dies, right? He who dies with the most toys still dies. And so Jesus is asking this guy, you know, look at your priorities here. And he warns him about greed. You know, the Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, if you've read it or you've seen the movie, like one of the most memorable characters in there is, is the one named Gollum. And, and Gollum cares only about one thing, his precious, right? It's the ring that he found, the ring of power. It has this like spell over him. This is, this is like such a beautiful example of what greed does to us, right? In order to keep the ring... Gollum is willing to live in the darkness and in total isolation from everyone else, all so that he can keep his precious. And Tolkien means for us to feel sad for Gollum because, like, what kind of life is that? But it also makes the rest of us wonder, at what point are my possessions possessing me? Because greed is like that, sneaks up on you, from behind you, when you least expect it, it kind of makes you delusional. It affects, it affects and infects our relationships with the people that matter to us most. To the point that you're willing to make huge trade-offs in how you live your life that just aren't worth the cost. And so Jesus asks this guy, or he tells this guy, he's like, hey, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he tells this parable about a wealthy farmer, landowner, who was blessed with an abundant crop. And having grown up on a farm, of, like I said, this is, I love this parable because, oh yes, it's about a prosperous farmer and those are few and far between. Right, Marla? She grew up on a farm too. Ha, ha, ha. But Jesus describes this farmer as a what? An already rich man. Meaning, it's not like he needed more grain. And then 
He has an abundant harvest. There's only one problem. What's he going to do with all the grain? His grain storage facilities are full. And so to solve this dilemma, this really nice problem to have in life, he decides to tear down his old barns and build bigger, shiny, newer ones. Well, Jesus means to highlight, you know, how wasteful is that? You, you couldn't just build more barns? Why do you have to tear down the old barns and build brand new ones? I mean, if you study this parable, there are people who are willing, they are willing to go out on a limb and tell you why he's doing this, but I think it's because he can, right? He has so much money, I can tear down my old ones and just build bigger ones in their place. Well, Jesus' listeners, just like us, they would have identified the pathology here. It's greed. This guy is self-indulgent. He has a lack of generosity. I mean, why not share with those less fortunate? You know, if you're a wealthy person who God has blessed with this abundant harvest of more, you know, why wouldn't you say, oh, I have too much. Maybe I will share with those that don't have enough. But not this guy. No, He's going to hoard it all for himself. Instead, he says this. This is verse 19. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and be merry. Take life easy. I mean, that is a retirement tattoo, isn't it? Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Well, in telling this parable, Jesus, he's not dismissing the need for managing your money well, for like wise financial management. He's not down on turning a profit. He's not even down on saving for retirement. I don't even think Jesus is condemning wealth here. He might be saying something about our desire for comfort and security, but the issue isn't the possessions themselves. It's in how tightly we all cling to them. When you think about this parable, I mean, it's, it's not far to, to, to start considering, well, how? Well, then how much is enough? How much profit? How much do I save for retirement? Uh, how much do I keep and how much do I give? I, I have a, a, a longtime friend who's fabulous at business and has made a lot of money. And before he made a lot of money, I, I knew him. And he actually would ask this question. I hated it when he would bring it up. He's like, yeah, I was doing my budget for this next year, and I always kind of start off with this question. Like, well, instead of how much should I give, how much should I keep? And I'd be like, oh, man, that really irritates me when you say it that way. But it's a great question. How much should I keep, and how much should I give away? And for those of us who are residents of the wealthiest country in the world, or, or maybe in history, it makes us all feel a little uncomfortable. Because Jesus quickly turns the tables. He pulls the rug out from underneath this wealthy guy, and he says, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. 
He who dies with the most toys still dies. Do you think you'll really care about your net worth when you're dead? And people forget, even in our present world, about the uncertainty, the fragility, the preciousness of life. Things can change in a hurry. And if you've put your trust and your wealth, it can be real fleeting. So one of the things I notice about this parable, reading this time around, reading it this week, was this phrase, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. The ground. The ground yielded an abundant harvest. Not uh, farming techniques, um, not hard work, not business acumen. No, his, spirit, his prosperity wasn't the result of any of that. It underscores how little control this guy actually has over his life. I mean, even his soul is kind of on loan. Big gulps, right? Sometimes we need to be humbled like that. Like, oh, yeah, maybe I, maybe I am really good at business. But maybe there's just been some opportunities that I had just right. Now, I'm not saying that, hey, everything that you've accomplished or everything that's happened to you is just dumb luck. I, I think that this parable is kind of, you know, sneaking a little right hook in there when you least expect it. Like, oh, well, maybe you're not all that. Humbling. In the end, you have to give it all back. John Ortberg has this amazing uh, uh, illustration about this parable right here. He, he, I've heard him tell it in person. I'm, I know he writes about it in at least one of his books. But his grandmother, when he was growing up, he used to play Monopoly with her. And she would always just wipe the board with him, just kill him. And it just it irritated him so much. As he would grow up, they'd play, he'd go over her house, they'd play Monopoly, she would destroy him. And so he decides he's going to get really good at Monopoly. And so while he's, you know, in middle school or sometime, he just plays Monopoly all the time with his friends until he gets good enough where he's like, I think I can beat Grandma. And so they sit down and they play this game of Monopoly and he just destroys her. And all of the triumph... All of the pride and the joy of that moment is taken away when she grabs the box and, and like clears the board and she, she looks at him and says, meh, it all goes back in the box. Just that thought like, oh, everything I had worked for, everything, it just all goes back in the box. I mean, that's kind of the moment here that Jesus is describing in this parable. Like, oh, in the end, Who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? Uh, Jesus neatly ties it back into the whole inheritance thing from the beginning. Who you are is far more important than what you possess. And who you are is a child of God. So act like it. Become rich toward him. How can we do that? Well, it sounds really similar to one of another sayings of Jesus. This is from the book of Matthew. Store up treasures in heaven. Don't store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
You know, a critical thing for followers of Jesus is to figure out what they're living for. Famously, Jesus says, this is Luke 9. Then he said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Being rich towards God starts with denying yourself. And one way to do that is simply to move our focus. We move our focus from um, me, myself, and I to God and his purposes. Um, that was part of this rich man's folly, is that his priorities were all screwed up. It was all about him. It wasn't his, and he didn't even know it. His life was slipping away as he's preparing all this nice stuff for himself. You know, the message, the last verse in this, he's like, it's, it's this. It's, that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. So where's your focus? When my, when my kids were little, and now, and now as they're learning to drive, first as they were learning to ski, now as they're learning to drive, we always used to tell them this, like, where's your focus? Where you're looking? If it's right out here in front of your skis, you're going to be, like, all over the place, right? If it's right out there in front of the bumper of your car... I don't want to be on the road driving the other way, right? You have to look ahead. Like, where's your focus? You get your focus in the right spot. Your skis follow, your body follow, your car follows. Where's your focus? What are you looking at? Um, it matters. If you live for your own pleasure and comfort, Jesus is pretty clear on what you're going to get. You may gain the whole world and forfeit yourself. So where's your focus? And if you start to align yourself with God's purposes, um, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is another part of Matthew. And all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, great. The way that I get all the stuff that I want is to, is to devote myself to God, right? <laughs> That's not what Jesus is saying here. But he is inviting us to redirect how we think about and use our material possessions for someone other than ourselves. Jesus is inviting us to reorient our life towards our Heavenly Father and his work. I mean, the kingdom is another way of saying God's reign here. You know, it's heaven breaking into earth. And so I'm going to align my life towards pursuing those purposes and righteousness. When we see the word righteousness in our very righteous, uh, self-righteous, cancel culture, 21st century world, we immediately think of personal morality. The Greek word for righteousness is the same word for justice. That isn't necessarily talking about individual morality at all, is it? No, it's talking about how, how, we ex how our actions are expressed towards others in a righteous and a just way. This is biblical justice. So becoming rich towards God has something to do with learning how to seek his reign in this world and, and, to, and justice in places where it's lacking. How could we do that? How could we do that? As it relates to our, our finances, you know, maybe we could learn to live more simply. Maybe we could learn to see those opportunities out there where God's reign and justice 
are, are missing, whether it's for the poor or the marginalized or the, the oppressed, whoever that might, might be, you know, God could open our eyes. We could do something there. Maybe we could write a check or maybe we could get involved. I don't know. When we're talking about becoming rich towards God, it means opening ourselves to his Holy Spirit and just saying, all right, God, use me. I want to invest my life in your causes. That's being rich towards you. And finally, I want to say that parables like this, man, they are not only for the wealthy. They're not just for the people who own super yachts and that we judge by, you know, they're just storing up treasures for themselves on earth. No, all of us can be driven by greed. All of us can have our focus on things other than God. And so the challenge becomes staying vigilant. The deceptiveness of greed, or should I just call it marketing, right? The deceptiveness is however it gets in there and it gets its tentacles on us. We live in a culture like no other that way. And so it's staying vigilant. It's stewarding what God has given us in the most faithful way that we can. And whether it's how we spend our money or how we save for retirement, we want to become wise, generous, and faithful stewards of all God's provided. And we want to be transformed by Christ. That's who we are. That's becoming rich towards God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we come before you and we're humbled by stuff like this. Man, it can really touch a nerve. Um, and so if, if that's a conviction that comes from your Holy Spirit, Lord, help us, help us to receive that. If that's an accusation from the evil one who's just trying to beat us down and um, get our shields up so that we feel so defensive we can't even hear your spirit. Lord, we, we stand up against that accusation. You know the number of hairs on our head. You feed the sparrows. That's, how much more do you feel about us? We are loved by you, not judged by you, God. And so help us to reorient our focus if we need to. Um, Help us to have a, a new vision for how we can impact others in our world, Lord. Help us in how we think about and use our money to be more in line with you. We pray this in your name. Amen. This is the portion of the message where I, um, I correct errors and mistakes that I made during the message. I said, God's here to love you, not judge you. It's not entirely true. If there wasn't judgment, I mean, if God didn't look at the world and go, oh, that's really messed up, then what would it matter, right? But we believe God does see us. It does matter how we live not as a way of impressing God, but in response to the grace that he's given to us through Jesus. Because there is a day when he's coming 
to set the world straight again. And that's him right now calling. Okay, I'm a little freaked out. But we've been given this freedom in Jesus because he paid the price for us. And when he pays the price, that allows us to just be like, oh, I can receive this gift and all that he's given in the Holy Spirit and the transformation that comes inside of us. And it can be a big change. I mean, that's a big growth curve. I've seen people healed of stuff like that. I've seen people, I mean, God's power is incredible. But there's also this journey that we're on with him. And for me, part of that journey has been figuring out how to think about and use the material stuff that he's given to me. And man, I have a lot of work to do still. We all do. So whether it's on that or any of a hundred other things, that's not the point. The point is that we're walking with Christ and abiding in him. And he's going to do great things in and through and among us. Amen? Go in God's blessing and God's peace, and we'll see you next week.